Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Hey, we're in our second part of our series in our prophet, priest, and king on the story of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17, take your Bibles and turn there and be prepared to go from there. I think this is going to be a great series. I'm enjoying it. Last week we looked a little bit about Elijah. The title of today is The God of Israel Lives. The God of Israel Lives. Let me ask you a question. What is your motivation? What is it that gets you up in the morning to face each and every day? Is it money? Is it the aspirations? Is it the chance for a venture? Is it money, adventure, maybe it's just a grudging attitude of duty, or maybe it's a high sense of duty and responsibility. I've got to provide for my family. What is it that gets you up out of the morning? And the one answer that does not suffice is my mom. Okay, can't say my mom gets me up. At least I hope not. Well, some of you might maybe. I remember one time the CEO of a company that I was working for was asked that question. And his answer was to the fact is I get up in the reason, the reason I get up in the morning, the, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is the opportunity to maximize the profits of our shareholders. That's a company man, and he made very good money. But I think that doesn't probably get you and I up in the morning, does it? Does it get you up in the morning and say, I want to make my company more money, or I, I want to do this or do that? Well, all of us have something that gets us out of the bed and face the morning, face our duties, or maybe your thirst, or whatever it is, there's something that motivates you and gets you up to face sometimes some of the most difficult times. You ever have those mornings when, man, I just don't want to get out of bed? Because you know all the things that are going on. And say, I just don't want to do that. We all have a trigger that helps us face the day. Well, last week we introduced to you one of the larger than life uh, prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah. Elijah is a fascinating character attributed with amazing feats of miracles, great acts of courage, along with bouts of depression, fear, and anxiety. In the New Testament, James describes Elijah as a man like you and me. And we talked about how many times we take these biblical characters and we make them such larger life that we can never understand who they are. We could never compare ourselves or ever attain to what they did. But James says that Elijah was a man like you and me, but accomplished great things despite his foibles, his fears, and his sense of inadequacy. And you need to understand, I think one of the things that prevents many of us from being the follower of Christ, the husband, the wife, you know, the son, the employee, the employer, is a sense of inadequacy that we have in doing it. Our our foibles and our failures and our sin many times paralyzes us and prevents us from serving God as we should. At least for me, I'm going to assume that's very similar to you. Some of the issues that Elijah had to cope with was fear and failures, anger, frustration, hunger, thirst, worry and anxiety, grief and bereavement. These are all things that all of us face on a daily basis. 
One pastor writes that when you read the Bible, you discover that the men and women that God uses are often marked by a sense of their personal inadequacy. And I wanted to spend last week to, for you to, to, to ask that question yourself and to confront that. In what areas do you feel that you're personally inadequate to do the things that God has called you to do? Many times we struggle with our own inadequacies as we serve God. We feel that we can never measure up to a man like Elijah. However, God has not called you to be Elijah, but yourself. And we ended last week's message with this challenge, with this exhortation. You and I are called to, be, to faithfully serve God in our generation, despite the circumstances and consequences, as he had gifted us through his empowerment of the Spirit until God calls us home. But now as we come to this morning, and we come to 1 Kings chapter 17, you and I read the recorded beginning of Elijah's ministry to the northern kingdom of Israel. In this short, short passage, we get a sense of the urgency of his mission, the devastating repercussions of rebellion against God, and the courage that is necessary to serve God in a culture and a society that was hostile to his faith, hostile to God. So with that, let's read 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's just read that first verse together. I'll read out loud. You can read silently. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Father, I pray that you just give us wisdom as we dive into your word to understand an event that happened almost 3,000 years ago in a land so far away with people so removed from our understanding that we need to come and understand what's happening here. So let it speak now here 3,000 years later to, to us. May we capture the truth found in your word. May we be encouraged, may we be challenged, may we be rebuked if necessary. But above all, let us respond to your word. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we see here, Elijah's called to prophesy to King Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel. To understand the importance, the reason, and the danger associated with Elijah's mission, why I call it courageous, it's imperative for us to read the passage right before this in chapter 16. So if you have your Bible there, just look on the next page, or maybe you may need to turn. But look at chapter 16, verse 26. And here we're introduced to the character of Ahab and Jezebel. It says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. That's the northern ten kingdoms, as we talked about last week. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Amram, this is important, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, as you read through Kings and Chronicles, you'll see that many kings of both Israel and Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But look at here. It says, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. This man stood apart in his evil, wicked, rebellious ways. And he says, as if it has been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, who was the one first wicked king of northern Israel, the son of Nabat. He took for his wife Jezebel, 
the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now this is something, remember he's a king of Israel, he's to worship the one true God. Look at verse 32. Not only did he worship Baal, but he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal. So he built him a temple and then put an altar there, which he built in Samaria. And Abram made an Asherah. That's a, 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 another type of pole typically, but it's an idol worship uh, for fertility. And look at this. You may want to mark this down in verse 33. Ahab did more to provoke the, Lord, the God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel who's before him. So you get a picture of a man who was very wicked, very rebellious towards God. This is who God calls Elijah to come and confront. The king, the supreme power there of that kingdom. His word was law. We need to consider King Ahab and his wife Jezebel from perspective here of one Bible teacher. I want to consider this. It says here that Elijah's two major adversaries during his, during his ministry were Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was the seventh monarch of the northern kingdom of Israel. He reigned 22 years. He majored in politics and minored in sacred religion. His marriage to the infamous Jezebel was more political than romantic. It strengthened his economic tie to the northern kingdom of Tyre, which was very rich. But the religious baggage of Jezebel's strong affinity with Baal worship, hence why God had said back in uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, do not intermarry with them. Do not marry them. They will pull you away from God. Jezebel was a headstrong religious fanatic who hated the worship of Jehovah. And she vigorously persecuted the Lord's prophets. And he kept her pathetic husband in line. She won the spineless Ahab to her cause, and later she was able to inject the dreaded Baalism into the southern kingdom as well by the marriage of their wicked daughter to the king of the south, Judah. Ahab, by all accounts, was a pathetic figure, marked by jealousy, by pride, by anger, and murderous impulses. While Jezebel has come even to this day to be a name marked with evil. Evil Jezebel. Do not name your daughters Jezebel. Now the second consideration is that of the false worship and the false, uh, false god, Baal, that replaced the worship of the true God. Again, I quote from an unknown source who writes that the name Baal is meant, is means Lord possessor or husband. The pagans of Canaan believe that the various Baals inhabited sacred trees, springs, mountains, heights, such of nature. The prevalence of this false religion is demonstrated by the presence of the cult name all along from Babylonian to the east, or to Babylon, excuse me, to, to Egypt to the west. One aspect of Baal worship was the belief that he was the god of fertility and therefore, he also brought rains with storms and lightnings and things of that nature. One ancient drawing of Baal on a stone monument pictured Baal as actually holding a lightning bolt in his hand, depicting him as the god of storm and thunder. It's interesting, it's this claim, this exact claim, is exactly what Yahweh is going to use to demonstrate his power over this false god as we move through this ministry of Elijah. So, going back to our passage today in 1 Kings 17, we see several things happening. 
In verse 1, we're going to spend most of our time, we're introduced to Elijah who is given the task to confront Abraham, or Ahab for his rebellion against God. His one message to the king is simple but deadly, especially to the land that is very much like ours here in Southern California. He says, there shall be neither dew nor rain for these years. Now, as we know from the letter of James in the New Testament, that these years wind up consisting of about three and a half years. Now, I don't, you and I can understand it. That's a long time to go without rain. We understand that here in Southern California. We can understand it as their climate and their topaga, topaga, their land uh, is just like ours here. It's very similar topography. For years, just so the record state that I can say it when I, when I really think of it. For years, we were under a drought here, though not as severe as the judgment against Israel. It's especially in a region and an economy in a day and an age that relied on agriculture to feed their people. And to make this and to make mistake, no mistake, this is a judgment against King Ahab and Israel for their rebellion against God. So Ahab says, here, or, or Elijah says, here is a judgment of you against you by God. There shall be no rain and there shall be no dew until I say so. That winds up being three and a half years. And now this is going to have devastating effects. And I want to give you a pastoral side note, okay? So I'm stepping aside here. This is something you and I need to understand. Though this sin and the introduction of Baal worship comes through King Ahab and through Jezebel and then her prophets, and yes, the people made allowances for it, they accepted it, they affirmed it, they wound up approving of it, and then they wound up advancing it. And even though they did all this, there were many who were not Baal worshipers. But here's the thing you and I have to understand. That though that this is King Ahab and Jezebel's doing, innocent people are going to suffer and die during this drought and famine. And so here's the pastoral side note that I've shared with you before. You and I, when we rebel against God, when we invite sin and we begin to sin ourselves, it affects more people than just you. Innocence will suffer. You think you may be getting away with this little private sin that you may be entertaining, but let me tell you, make no mistake, it does affect others. Sin has devastating effects. God's judgment on those who rebel against him is serious. <clears throat> now going back, we see that Yahweh's judgment against Israel will not only be a drought with no rain, but it also will be with no dew. There will be no dew on the ground when they wake up. Now that's amazing. I don't understand all the science behind it. But there will be no dew. There will be no moisture coming from the ground for them to collect and for them to drink. This, as you can imagine, will have devastating effects on not only the land, but also the people. And then think of the animals who need that water. And also the crops along with various trees and the vines that were used to grow as a food source. Eventually, this will dry up and no nourishment will come. Not only that, but the rivers and the wells that rely on rain for replenishment will eventually dry up as they lose their sources of fresh water. What will they drink? What's important for you and I to realize this morning is that what God is revealing here in this judgment to Israel, 
So what I'm going to share with you is some four points and four important points that Elijah points out in verse one. Number one, Elijah points out that Yahweh is the true God. Going back to verse one, as the Lord, the God of Israel. As the Lord, the God of Israel. He's pointing out that Yahweh is the true God. Though Ahab and the people of Israel have turned away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says Yahweh is the only true God. Baal is a false God who cannot speak, who cannot hear, who cannot touch. Baal cannot create, love, provide, nor care for those who worship him. And this is going to become very starkly aware as no rain will come. And remember, what was Baal? He was the God of storm. It's, it's amazing that God chooses the very thing that Baal says he could do. God says, no, you don't. Several weeks, Elijah will expose the powerlessness of Baal and the foolishness of those who worship images of stone and wood. So Elijah points out that Yahweh is the true God. Now, before you're too harsh on the Israelites and those who worship false gods, let me state once again, would you think about the false gods that you worship, that you bow down to? So I don't bow down to any stone image. I don't bow down to any tree. I don't worship any God. But well, then let me ask you, then what is it that you focus on in your mind, in your heart? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? How do you spend your money and your time and your entertainment? You see, what you focus on, when we think of worship, we think of singing. Yeah, I don't, I don't sing this, you know, to this, to, to more money. I, I don't do those types of things. But worship isn't just singing. Worship is what you focus on. It's what the heart desires. So you say, hey, I don't do Baal worship. You worship something. There is something in contention with God at all times. What is it? It could be a relationship, a person, your family, your children, your job, your career, a retirement. What are those things that you're bowing down? Let me point out like Elijah, there's only one true God. And we should worship and bow down before him. The second thing that Elijah points out that God is not dead. You've seen the movie, right? You've heard the song. God is not dead. What does he say? As the Lord, the God of Israel, what? Lives. Thank you. Amen. Mark that down. He is alive. He lives. Unfortunately, you and I only celebrate that once a year during Easter. But he does live. That should be what gets you up in the morning. That's what motivates you. That's what motivates your decision and influences the things that you do, the things you watch, the things that you take in. Here we see Elijah setting out the problem. In essence, Elijah is saying to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel in Israel, you all have been living as if the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is dead. You have forgotten about him. You have abandoned the living God. Have you forgotten that the Lord that delivered us from slavery in Egypt, he delivered us from the hand of Pharaoh and he's given us a land and the law to follow. But you know what? You and I are very much the same way. In case you're thinking that the king and Israel were foolish, consider your own lives. 
Consider how many times that you today, this week, have made uh, decisions regarding finances and family and work and entertainment without ever once reflecting on God's word or God's desire, God's will for your life. How often do you go about your daily life following your heart's desire and pursuing illegitimate passions without considering that one day you and I will stand before holy, righteous God? You must understand that God is not dead. What was it? Was it time back in the 70s or late 60s had, had that headline, God is dead? Coming off, I think, the John Lennon, the Beatles thing. But he is not dead. And we cannot live our lives not expecting that one day we will stand before God. Mark this down. Underline this in the deep recesses of your heart. God is alive. The writer of Hebrew reminds us that no creature is hidden from God's sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. There is nothing that we can hide from God. In the same passage, though, as the law is stated down, you and I must understand God is alive. One day we will give account. He does say this. He says, those that are in Christ, we should with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How could Elijah stand before Ahab and give him this terrible judgment? Because he believed that Yahweh was the true God and that he was alive. He had no fear of that. God is alive. And the judgment for his sin is going to come through drought. And God's judgment comes to those who do not recognize that he is alive. Number three, <clears throat> Elijah points out it is God who is sovereign in nature. Not only as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, he says there shall be neither dew nor rain these years. Earlier you may, you may recall that I remarked that one aspect of, his, of that religion was that he was not only the God of fertility, but also the God of storms and rain. He brought things, he caused things to grow. However, Scripture tells us that God causes all things to grow. Those who worship Baal would offer gifts and prayers for rain, for good crops, and even for children. They had forgotten the words of God found in Deuteronomy where God warned their forefathers. Look here at the monitors if you would. In Deuteronomy, he had said this, Take care lest your heart be deceived. Now he wrote this, Hundreds of years before this time. Take heart lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. God said this is going to be a time. Do not do it. He says then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And listen to what God promises he will do when they do this. He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord has given you. Hundreds of years before this time, God had warned them, do not abandon me. Do not go after other gods, for I will shut the heavens against you. God had warned them that this would happen. 
The king was responsible for, to know this. The priests were responsible to teach this. And the people were responsible to receive it with gladness and worship. Yet later, the prophet Jeremiah would proclaim the guilt of Israel. When God said, these people has a stubborn, rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord of God who gives the rain in its seasons, the autumn rain and the spring rain and keeps for us the weeks appointed to the harvest. For they have abandoned God, forgotten that he is sovereign and providential over all things. How often do you and I accept and enjoy the blessings and providence of God? Each and every moment we should. For every heartbeat, every function of our being is a gift from him. If God said withhold or stopped, our lives are done. The rains, the sun. But yet we give worship to something else. <clears throat> Do we worship ourselves, our talents, our abilities? Maybe the government that provides for us, we think. Entertainers who make us happy. Our eyes should continually be on God. As James said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you realize that God is the giver of all good things? Israel, King Ahab, had forgotten this. King Jez or Queen Jezebel never knew it. The fourth thing that Elijah points out is that he speaks with authority from God. He is not coming of his own will. He is not coming of his own opinion and judgment. But he says, before whom I stand, except by my word, but before whom I stand, the God whom I stand, I come with the authority of God. It marks Elijah's authority as a prophet of God and the truthfulness of his judgment. There will be no rain except by my word. Why? Because I stand in Yahweh's presence, in his place. It will not rain by authority of Yahweh through God, through his messenger Elijah. No matter what the kings think, no matter the prophets of Baal offer or the people believe about Baal, there will be no rain. And as we read last week again in James' letter, that Elijah prayed fervently that it may not rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years until he rained once again that it might. Now Elijah is a prophet of God and he speaks on God's behalf. And God uses Elijah's prayer as a means of withholding rain and dew from the land. Now, whether Elijah prayed just for uh, once for rain to, uh, to, to, be, to end and then for it to begin three and a half years later or prayed during the whole three and a half, I do not know. But what I do know from Scripture is that God honored his word to Elijah and Elijah's prayer. He points out he comes from the authority of God. Now, I want to step back for again. I want to give you a little paragraph, a little commercial, a word of caution. Though scripture promises that the prayer of a righteous person has great power is working, that does not mean, now listen to this, that does not mean that you and I can expect God to work in the same way he did in the Old and New Testament. 
God has not commanded you to call down fire on your boss. He has not called you to part the, part, part the waters of the mighty Mississippi, nor to infect your neighbors with frogs because they've made you mad. He does call us to pray as that that is his means of doing his will. And you and I must pray fervently with thanksgiving and confidently. And I only say that because uh, there's, as we've been working our way through some of the prof, uh, false teachers of today, there are many who say that they can pray binding things of drought and famine and rain and things, so on and so forth. They're binding things in prayer. You are not called to expect that. But we also should remember that we too have been given authority by God. As Matthew records in the gospel that all authority in heaven is given to me, Jesus says. So now go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all I've commanded you. So you and I are like Elijah, is that we're to stand before a wicked and corrupt society, and we need to say that there is only one true God, that God does live, and you must repent and be baptized for, and come to know Christ for salvation. That is what you and I are called to do. It would be correct to point out we've been given that type of authority. One living true God who is sovereign over all creation to mediate his kingdom. Speaking his words to kings, queens and people alike. That is still our basis. In summary of first one and of the things that he points out there Elijah's, Elijah courageously obeys God's word by confronting King Ahab, proclaiming judgment against him, and declaring the power and providence of God. Let us not forget that is our calling to in our time, in our situation. That is the motivation to get us out of bed. Now, as we continue in verse 2 through 7, we're going to read of Elijah's brief retirement. He calls to do this, then he has a brief retirement in the wilderness. Look at verse 2 of Elijah, uh, 1 Kings chapter 1. It's there in the monitor if you need it as well. And the word of the Lord came to him. This is after he pronounced to, to, to uh, Ahab. It says again, And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the book of brook Cherith, which is in the east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Interesting. So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he lived by that brook that is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him food and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So it seems like for almost three and a half years, God takes him into retirement. After his courageous proclamation, God sends Elijah not only out of the court of King Ahab, but out of the region as well. One biblical teacher remarks that Elijah was instructed by the Lord to go eastward towards the Jordan and to conceal himself and to wait. He was to hide. Meanwhile, he would be cared for by the Lord and the prophet obeyed the word of Jehovah, traveling about 15 miles where he dwelt by this brook. And in verses 3 through 7, we read several points here. Not just just uh, some observations. First, God com commands him to hide in the east. It's almost like for three and a half years, uh, Elijah is going to be doing some boot camp. Kind of like Paul. Paul, after coming to know Christ, spent three years in Arabia himself. What? Learning the oracles and the promises and the truths of God. 
In the same way, we see Elijah here is, is kind of taking like a boot camp. Go hide by this brook. God promises that, listen, I'll provide you food and drink, but he's providing it supernaturally in the fact that ravens are bringing to him food. Now, I don't know about you, but I guess that's the first point of uh, uh, DoorDash and things of that nature. Uh, maybe someone can call it the raven delivery. I don't know. But I don't know what type of food they're bringing, but it looks like meat and things and bread. He was bringing them twice a day. God, he, uh, we also see that uh, we see in there Elijah's obedience as he went to the brook. You say, what? That, that's all you want me to do? Uh, you just want me to deliver this and now you're calling me to three and a half years to, to go out here and sit in the wilderness all alone? What am I going to do there? Just sit by that brook. Wait for the birds to come and deliver. So he did. He obeyed. But we also see God's provision by providing water from the brook and food that's brought to him by the raven. God does what he promises. But then we see, and here's the last thing I want us to get is there is a dire condition that happens that teaches Elijah to trust God and not the natural blessing, similar almost to Job and his little plant. So you can see him sitting there, and that brook is his life source of water. Water is a life source. You can't, what, three days without it. Remember, there's no dew. Now he's kind of in the wilderness, maybe desert area, maybe whatever. It's going to be sparse. But we see here the brook dries up. So what do we do when the brook dries up? We complain. We wonder, where is God? Why doesn't God provide? God promised to provide, but we see this brook finally dries up. Now, this is just my own side note. I just believe God is teaching us is to trust God and not just the blessings. Not just the blessings and the gifts of God. So many times you and I become so much focused on the gifts of God and not God himself. You heard me say this before. The husband who, who loves his wife because what she does for him. Does he love his wife or the things she does for him? Or, or the child who loves his parents because they provide for him. Well, what if his parents can no longer provide? Is there still love? And vice versa for the, for the wife, does she love her husband when he's not loving, when he's not kind? And see, many times our love and our honor and respect for people comes from what they give us. But God calls to, to love them no matter so in the same way, do you love God because he provides things? So what happens when God stops providing? Do you still worship? Do you still love him? Do you still obey him? Well, we're going to see Elijah continues to do so because when God dries up the brook, he's going to send next week him to another place where God always provides. Hence our scripture reading this morning. Do you ever get anxiety and worried, angry about what God is providing? I wish he'd give me more. I wish he would bless me more. What does our scripture reading tell us there in Matthew 6? Just don't worry about that. God knows you. God will take care of you. Now there's several things as we come here to a close. I want to bring it in because there's some observations and facts here about Elijah. But there's several things that you and I can learn from this passage. How do we take what happens 3,000 years ago in a land far away, people far removed from us, how do we think about it right now? What is it that needs to motivate you to get out of bed? What is God calling us to do? How can we respond to the Holy Spirit? Well, here's several things. There's three. First, you and I need to learn of God's priority. He is God. And he is the one who deserves our worship and devotion. God's priority is that you worship him. 
God says that he is seeking the earth for those who worship him in truth and in spirit. So God's priority for Ahab is, hey, listen, I am the God, the true living God. Is God's priority your priority? The second thing that you need to question yourself is do you trust in God's provision? God empowers and provides all that we need to obey him. Now what we're going to see here is God is going to remove that from Ahab to expose his sin and to prove his power and to demonstrate his goodness and provision. But yet for his children, he provides. So God wants you to know that he provides the third, or the third thing that you and I must learn in this part one of it is that we need to understand God's purposes. God provides salvation to the righteous, as he does here for Elijah. But you and I also understand that one of God's purposes is also judgment to the wicked and to those who rebel against him. And so I want to ask you this morning, your prayer should be, Lord... Have I put you as priority number one? Have I accepted and grateful for your provision? And Father, do I understand your purposes and do I live and align my life accordingly? Second, second thing I want you to learn is that Elijah's story teaches us that knowledge and fear of God that knowledge and fear of God, and this is why this is important, and this ties into what we're going to be talking about in our adult core class. This story teaches us that the knowledge and fear of God evaporates, evaporates the fear of powerful people. How does Elijah, a nobody, stand before the king and pronounce judgment against a man who has power of life and death over him at that very moment? King Ahab, in all of his right, and all of his power, could have said, take his head right then and there. How do we stand up in a culture and a society that is hostile against God? How do we stand against friends and against families who do not believe the way you and I do? How do we stand up in a society that rejects the very way that we live? It's a knowledge and fear of God overrides the fear of man, culture, and society. You see, Elijah demonstrated bold obedience despite the circumstances and the consequences that would face him. Obedience shows trust, which brings God's blessings. And like Elijah, you and I have a name that flies in the face of sinful culture. Go back to 1 Kings. What does he say there? He says, by the Lord God lives. Let me go back myself here. As the Lord, as the, Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. He says, I don't stand in my own name. I stand in the name of Yahweh. Let me share with you. You and I stand in the name of Christ. And his name is above all names. There is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The Bible tells us that that one day that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that what? Jesus is Lord. Greater is he that is in you than is he in the world. Jesus warned us in Matthew, do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. 
Rather feel, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And many of us have been taught that that's Satan. No, that's God. It's the wrath of God. It's the judgment of God. Satan has no power over you. This world has no power over you. The society has no power over you. Yes, in the temporal world, yes, it can imprison us. It can put us in the death penalty. It can ostracize us. It can ruin our business. But in the end, it cannot kill our soul. And so I ask you this morning, or share with you that Elijah teaches us that the knowledge and fear of God will evaporate fear of man. As the disciples said, we should fear God, not man. Many of the things that keep us from standing up for our faith is fear of rejection, fear of ostracization from people, fear of rejection. And let me tell you, I cannot take that away. That's the society we live in. But as our Sunday school lesson says, how do we respond says much about us as Christians. Then the third thing that I want us to learn from this passage is that like Elijah, you and I are called to proclaim God's judgment to the wicked and offer of salvation. See, God is going to call you to courage. He's going to call us to be brave. You and I need to stand up to powerful leaders. And we think of that warning to the disciples. Some of you they will throw out of the synagogues. Some of, the, some of you they will beat. Some of you they will throw in prison. Some of you they will martyr. And so we will today. We will face those things and we need to continue to stand up to the powerful leaders that could be politically, that could be uh, socially, culturally, it could be the ones in our family. But you and I need to stand up in the face when we see rebellion against God. Now that's done in love, and that's done in caring and compassion. I'm not calling you to go over there and tell them uh, that God will, your lawn will not receive water or dew for the next three and a half years. God's not calling you to do that. Don't call down fire. If it's your mother-in-law, okay, you may, you may kind of think about that, but don't do it. It's not going to be good for the relationship anyway. But we need to stand up. You and I need to understand that God's judgment is righteous and just. Others' rebellion leads to innocent suffering. There, there are young children that are suffering because of the mistakes and the failures and the wrongful thinking of their parents and their teachers and officials. You and I need courage to stand before sin. And that's a sin that's not only in yourself, but in your family, your circle of friends. If you allow someone to be your friend, but you never speak up to tell them that God lives, what type of friend are you? You'd rather go to heaven and allow them to slip right into hell without a word. Liam Gulliger writes that Elijah spoke into an age like ours. Just as Israel practiced idolatry, people today turn to all sorts of spiritual beliefs and lifestyles that seem broad-minded. By contrast, Elijah had one overriding conviction. The invisible Lord lives, and you and I cannot avoid or escape him. That's the message that we have. The question today I have for you is that your is that your conviction does is there only one true God who lives and calls us to repentance?
What's your conviction this morning? Would you be an Elijah? Every head bowed and every eye closed as the worship team comes up. I want you to take a moment to just to pause and consider not only the points of Israel, of Elijah, there's one true God. He lives. He is providential. And we stand in his truth. But would you consider what God is calling you to do today in light of those truths? Would you pray for the Spirit to expose the ways in which you are much like Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of ancient Israel? And then respond to the Holy Spirit work as he calls you to confess, to repent, and to turn to Christ. Maybe it's a recommitment. Maybe it's the first time. I don't even know what it means to be saved. At the end of the service, Landon will be up here, one of our elders, and he'll be here for prayer. I ask you to come if you have a question, a concern, or you just need prayer. We'd love to share with you how you too can know Christ. Take advantage of that. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your goodness and your love for us. I thank you for the ministry of Elijah. Though 3,000 years in the past, it has much to say for us today because it is your word. It is true. It is holy. You are God and you are alive. Let us shout that with our, our, our hearts. Shout it with our vocal cords. Father, show it with our lives. And Father, may others come to know you. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.